Benjamin Franklin Gates, you are undertaking the duty of the family Gates to find the most spectacular treasure in history. It grew throughout the ages and moved across continents until it was hidden by America's founding fathers who left clues to the treasure's location right before our eyes. The unfinished pyramid, the all-seeing eye, are telling us something. Keeping this treasure safe, Benjamin, is your destiny. You're treasure hunters, aren't you? We're more like treasure protectors. All his life, Benjamin Gates has searched for a treasure no one believed existed. Don't you get it, Ben? The treasure is a myth. Yeah, I refuse to believe that. But what he thought was the final clue... 108 years of searching and I'm three feet away. ...is only the beginning. The Declaration of Independence. You think there is a treasure map on the back of the Declaration of Independence? The map is invisible. Why would we make this up? Where is your proof? We don't have it. Wiley, get down! Bigfoot take it. Word about the map is bound to get out. Ian's gonna try to steal it. 90 seconds. The only way to protect the declaration is to steal it. What? I'm gonna steal the Declaration of Independence. Uh, Ben? From producer Jerry Bruckheimer and director John Turtletaub. It is surrounded by guards and video monitors and little kids on their eighth grade field trip. You will go to prison, you know that, right? Yeah, probably. Okay, go! Get out of there. Get out of there now. He's got the bloody map. This Thanksgiving, the clues of ten generations. There's more to the riddle. Will reveal a mystery 20 centuries in the making. Who wants to go down the creepy tunnel inside the tomb first? Ah! Tell me what the next clue is. What do you see? Nicholas Cage. National treasure. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours, the movie review program where we discuss a movie and then place it up against the Joyce scale to see where it lands. I'm Paul Spataro, and I am joined today by Professor Alan Middleton. Hello. And Emily Middleton. Hello. And you guys suggested today's movie, so it is National Treasure, the 2004 Nicolas Cage vehicle. And why'd you pick this movie? It is a family favorite. Yeah, I think this might be the most regularly watched film in our collection. Between me or mom, somebody is usually watching this movie about once every five to maybe eight months. Yeah, a couple, couple times a year. It worked its way into the onto the screen somewhere here at the uh, Casa de Middleton. Well, we just find it eminently rewatchable. I saw it in 2004 at some point when it came out on home video. And I did not see it again until you suggested it. <laughs> I remember the first time I'd heard of it. It would have been probably late 2003 or early 2004 when I was watching something else I did not backtrack to try to figure out what would have been in the theaters at the time and I saw the trailer for it and they were talking about you know secret this and a conspiracy that and we're going to find this hidden something or another 
And I thought, oh no, this is a Da Vinci Code movie for kids. Oh, and I no, I just I thought I thought they were doing this like this is like a year and a half before the Da Vinci Code oh. movie came out, and I thought, oh god, someone's taking those terrible books because I think they're pretty terrible books and turn them into a movie. And then I saw it was National Treasure. So, okay, maybe it's just a knockoff. And it's one of those few cases where the knockoff or, or you know, whatever the process was came out, like I said, about a year and a half before the Da Vinci Code movie. And I think it's actually better. That doesn't happen all that often. Well, the Da Vinci Code movie is not, uh, honestly, is not holding it up to a very high standard. To be fair, it is an admittedly low bar. Yes. Um, but I'm sure what happened is the books were such big bestsellers. Someone at Disney said, do we have something like that? Do we have a script somewhere about treasure hunting and mysteries and secrets or, you know? Well, I would say if I, if I had to describe this with the elevator pitch, I would say you take a, one part Raiders of the Lost Ark, one part The Da Vinci Code, slam them together and Disney-fy them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. And, and Nick Cage-ify them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a, and, and to me, I just think there's sort of a fundamental difference where you're taking on national history and the Founding Fathers as opposed to taking on the church and God? Uh, first of all, uh, you're <laughs> almost certainly going to sound way less smug. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a big <laughs> point in my book. Um, I have to, I, I will admit, this is, this is my pick, basically. Dad's along for the ride for the most part. Uh, I saw this movie in 2004 the way it is meant to be viewed, <laughs> which is to say on a drop-down DVD player in the bus that was taking me and the rest of my 8th grade class to Washington, D.C. That is hard to beat. So it was it was specifically chosen to be like, okay, we're going we're gonna to go and walk the mall and see all the monuments and go to the Smithsonian. So, all right, kids, sit down, shut up. We're going to play whatever else they put on and then national treasure to be the token educational film <laughs> uh and i was captivated hmm. all right i guess this would be a good time for me to give the plot to the movie benjamin franklin gates is an american historian cryptologist and treasure hunter as a child his grandfather john told him of the story that charles carroll of carrollton passed on a secret to their ancestor in 1832 of a fabled national treasure hidden in America by the Founding Fathers and Freemasons. The clue leading to the treasure is the phrase, The Secret Lies with Charlotte. While Ben is convinced by, a story, by the story, his skeptical father Patrick dismisses it as nonsense. Thirty years later, Ben leads an expedition with Ian Howe and his friend Riley Poole, a computer expert, to find the Charlotte, a ship lost in the Arctic, which holds the first clue to finding the national treasure. They find a Meerschaum pipe, which has a clue implying the next is on the Declaration of Independence. When Ian suggests they steal the Declaration of Independence, Ben opposes, causing a fight to ensue, resulting in a massive fire fueled by gunpowder, and the group is split in two. Ian, Ian and his men escape the ship, while Ben and Riley take cover just before the ship explodes. Ben and Riley return to Washington, D.C. and report the potential theft of the Declaration to the FBI and Dr. Abigail Chase of the National Archives, but Abigail dismisses their claim. 
Ben decides to steal the document himself from the archives preservation room during a gala event. Obtaining Abigail's fingerprints, Ben successfully obtains the declaration, but is spotted by Ian's group just as they break in to steal it. Ben tries to leave via the gift shop, but has to buy the declaration when the clerk mistakes it for a souvenir copy. Abigail, suspecting something is astray, pursues Ben and takes back the document. Ian kidnaps her, but Ben and Riley rescue Abigail, tricking Ian by leaving behind a purchased copy of the declaration. FBI agent Sadusky begins tracking Ben down. <clears throat> Going to Patrick's house, the trio study the declaration and discover an Ottendorf cipher written in invisible ink. The message refers to the silenced do-good letters written by Benjamin Franklin. Patrick formerly owned them but donated them to the Franklin Institute. Using a schoolboy to acquire the letter's key words, Ben, Riley, and Abigail discover a message pointing to the bell tower of Independence Hall. They find a hidden cache containing a pair of glasses and multiple colored lenses invented by Benjamin Franklin, which, when used to read the back of the declaration, reveal a clue pointing to the symbol of Trinity Church, which is located on Wall Street and Broadway in New York City. The group is chased by Ian's associates. Ben is arrested by the FBI while Abigail and Riley lose the declaration to Ian. However, Abigail convinces Ian to help them rescue Ben in exchange for the next clue. Ian agrees, arranging a meeting at the USS Intrepid, where they help Ben evade the FBI. Ian returns the declaration and asks for the next clue, but when Ben remains coy, Ian reveals he has kidnapped Patrick as a hostage. They travel to the Trinity Church where they find an underground passage, but it appears to lead to a dead end lit by a lone lantern. Patrick claims it is referencing the midnight ride of Paul Revere, pointing Ian to the old North Church in Bostonians. Ian leaves the gates trapped in the chamber heading for Boston. Patrick reveals the clue was a fake. They find a notch which the Meersham pipe fits into, opening a large chamber containing the treasure. Ben contacts Sadusky, actually a Freemason, surrendering the declaration and the treasure's location in exchange for clemency. Ian is later arrested when Ben tips the FBI off. Later, Ben and Abigail have started a relationship, while Riley is somewhat upset that Ben turned down the 10% finder's fee for the treasure and accepting a much smaller amount that still has netted them all significant wealth. And that's the end. So... When, now, you said you first saw this on video, correct? Yes. Yeah. I, I don't think any of us saw it in its think original so. I theater I think you run. saw it on that trip and then said, we all have to watch this. So and there's just something, there's something Disney, there's something family, there's something fun, funny about it that, that uh, works for us. I like, uh, I like to say there's a difference between the action and adventure genres yes. much the same way that there is between science fiction and fantasy <laughs> the fact that action and adventure are smushed together is a little bit annoying because this is an an adventure yes. movie in the classical sense and I love this type of flick this is very Raiders of the Lost Ark Adventures of Tintin one of my other favorite movies <laughs> King ever King Solomon's Mines King to Solomon's go back and that treasure hunting yeah there's there just there's something about the swashbuckling, high octane quote unquote action 
that like really gets me way more than big dumb explosions do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, in a lot of ways, this movie is just sort of perfectly tailored to check all of my boxes. We're going to have history. We're going to have swashbuckling. We're going to have puzzles. We're going to have archives. We're going to go to the Library of Congress and inspire a very young and impressionable M to pursue a career in libraries and archives largely based around this movie. Library of Congress would be your dream job. Has been my dream job and since the, the day I saw this movie. And the National Archives happens to be your roommate's dream job who also works at the library with you. NARA, the National <laughs> Archive and Research Administration. <laughs> well, we'll see, you know, maybe you don't know what the future holds. Maybe, I, I, maybe you could be stealing the Declaration of Independence one day. One day, one, one day. day. One day I will steal the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> Please, please don't listen to this NSA. Please don't put this on my permanent record. I would very much like to work for the Smithsonian. Please trust me with your very cool artifacts. Yeah, you know what? I'll vouch for her. She wouldn't steal the Declaration of Independence. And and very Borrow, much in keep- Well, it's been there for a while. It might be a secret message. Secret, secret borrowing. I, I really like the character of Abigail Chase. I, I have to mention that up front. As far as the token woman of the team, yeah. she is incredible. As as the, um, oh, what's her name? Uh, as the Marion of this crew, <laughs> she does fantastically. And we have had hero librarians. Uh-huh. We have had hero historians. Ben is not the first of these we've had all all sorts of heroes in the humanities but a hero archivist who is really willing to run in front of a semi in order to save a 200 year old piece of paper that that's a hero that's a hero <laughs> right here in my book all right kim you know yeah she was she was good in it i i gotta tell you right off the bat i'm um like starting off slow on this because i'm just not a nicholas cage fan Mm. Fair enough. Yep. This is this is the Nicolas Cage movie that I like. <laughs> I like a few more, and I I will tell you I I have a soft spot for Nicolas Cage for a couple of reasons, and one is he is a total geek. He loves comics. He has a son named Cal L, and that's not like Calvin Lewis. It's like K A L hyphen E L. I mean. He's one of us, but he's one of the crazier ones of us, actually. And yet, and yet, he still made it in like reality, which is kind of shocking. He's kind of like Vin Diesel. I mean, they're 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 geeks at heart. Well, he, so he I, had I, a foot in the door, just well, based yeah. on his family. Point yeah. two. Yeah. The other thing I like about Nicolas Cage is that, especially among Emily's generation, really don't know that he's Hollywood royalty. That that he's a Coppola, I think you know when certainly when he started his career that was certainly more well known. But I actually sort of admire the fact that I I don't think he traded on that, or I don't think he trades on that today. I think it's folks our age, Paul, that know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't. And, and I, I think he. Because I, you know, I mentioned Emily did not know that, and I doubt her her contemporaries know that know that he's related to Francis Ford Coppola and Sophia Coppola and Talia Shire. I mean, that, that's Hollywood royalty. 
I think he used that to get his foot in the door, mm-hmm. but I don't think he used it to climb the stairs. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, I, and I can respect that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do too. And, and I also, I agree with you, I respect his, his geekiness. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not... There are plenty of us out there, and I think there always have been plenty of us out there, but it wasn't until more recent times that it became more socially accepted to be a geek, uh, you know, to be totally caught up in pop culture. I think that's a, a more recent phenomena, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I'm happy for that. I'm happy for people, you know, for younger people, because, you know, not that I have a hit from it, but there was always a little bit of a stigma sure. that I had, you know, with it. And, uh, you know, it's nice to see that doesn't exist anymore, and it's nice to see people, you know, at, at some level of fame who come out and embrace it and embraced it before it was, you know, the popular thing to do. And he is one of those. So I give him credit for that. And certainly in terms of the acting side of his career, I think he's sort of the American Michael Caine. Well, there's that point, you know, Michael Caine has one of the longest filmographies because he will do anything if there's a paycheck involved. And you sense long stretches of Nicolas Cage's career, including currently, where that seems to be the driving factor. I, I always felt with Nicolas Cage that he just desperately wanted to be in any movie that could be a comic book franchise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, which which is, you know, demonstrated, you know, this movie is not a comic book property, but it's certainly got that geek quality to it then you, you take an adventure yeah i mean he tried to be superman and he one one thing i noticed in this most recent watch through of national treasure is he does get a shirt rip when he's in the uh he's infiltrating the the gala as i guess a worker guy yeah maintenance dude maintenance guy then he's he's in the he's in the bathroom and he rips off his his, his overalls and unzips him to reveal his tuxedo underneath. So, mm-hmm. so that's kind of his rip. Superman. So he move. got a shirt rip. That's right. But when, when you, have you seen the footage of him from Superman Lives? I have. Yeah. Um, it's it's frightening to be honest. I'm, with it, is. I'm, it is. I'm glad we never got that movie. Yet, I I I have a very strange relationship with Nicolas Cage, which is that I think he is a good actor in certain situations when he tries. Right. He is not always in good situations, and he does not always try. Mm-hmm. And that would have been a, a terrible decision, a terrible, terrible casting decision. I mean, there were, everything was wrong with that movie. And there were, everything was wrong. It was just wrong all the way down. Yet, his desire to be Superman, I love. Again, on a personal level, not in any sort of artistic <laughs> context. That would have just been the worst. And I... I and- I, th- I think there's something about Cage where I think he tried to be the leading man, the sort of the, the the Hollywood sex symbol type of type of male lead, and he's not that. No, I mean he may maybe for a brief period of time. The he fact may that have he was that. in as many romantic comedies as he was, which is, it's, as far as I'm aware, three is kind of weird. Is weird. It's so weird, and it's. My- He's got character actor looks. I think he's got character actor skills, but he gets put into lead roles 
and I mean, he's he's an Academy Award winner and an Academy Award nominee. I mean, he can, when he chooses to to deliver, when the opportunity is there to deliver. Now we're talking way early in his career. Uh, he was able uh, to do that. I think you know that that raw talent is is, is still there. Mm. I, I would agree that he's got the ability sometimes, and I think I think a lot of times lack of success that we've seen is due to some poor choices in what roles to yeah. to play. Yeah. Uh, you know, he he's far better off playing the everyman than he is playing the romantic lead or the uh, right. the superhero. Even yeah, in this way, where he's kind of got a little bit of the superhero edge, it's more of the, you know, the Indiana Jones everyman superhero, not right, you know, not not Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also saw him in uh, Ghost Rider, which was a magnificent failure. Yeah, uh, and I liked I liked him in Kickass. And then I, I was going to mention Kickass Kick well, and I liked him in it especially. Kickass is another movie I may have to revisit at some point because. I wasn't totally enamored with it in my first viewing, but I know some people hold it in very, very high esteem. So and, I may and, need to give that a shot. And and I may be looking with geek-colored glasses, but Ghost Rider is not his fault. <laughs> There's a lot wrong with that, and I and I think that's damning him with faint praise. I I know. Yeah. I mean, I I I, I wonder what he could have done with something better though he did not elevate to be yes. fair he did not elevate he he's what i like to refer to as a well i like to say that there's a difference between a great actor and someone who is good at acting <laughs> he is good at acting but he's almost always going to be as good as his writing never mm-hmm. better mm-hmm. so if the writing is there and if the character is there, and if there's something about the character, the performance strikes a chord with him, he can really show up and do a really good job. And I think that this role in particular, as as Ben Gates, that there there is something very sort of like charming and charismatic in a very deadpan way that I think Cage pulls off pretty well. It, that it is it is leaning into the Indiana Jones sarcasm that I think he, he's able to pull that off much better than many other uh, uh, roles that have been attempted including Johnny Blaze <laughs> yeah. see I didn't see you know as, as this movie's going on and he's clearly got a level of insight that the other characters don't uh, I, I saw a lot of parallels to Raiders of the Lost Ark I saw, you know, uh, Sean Bean as the Belloc character. Uh, And I like Sean Bean a lot, too, but he was no Belloc. I'm sorry. Uh, But, you know, as he's outthinking everybody else, and not just outthinking everybody else, but just having this instinct for seeing the key points that other people are missing, I didn't totally buy it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there was a lot about it that I thought, no, that just doesn't feel right. And I don't know if I put that on him or if I put it on the writing or the directing. I'm not sure. But it felt it always felt to me like it was Nicolas Cage acting and like I never <laughs> accepted him as Ben Gates. Right. right. Yeah, there's a, there's a saying that uh, I know some other folks use in terms of film criticism, and it's you can see the strings. 
That is mm-hmm. like, like you can see the actor acting. Yeah, I think that that may be sort of what you're what you're getting at there a little bit. But I, I, I think he does that sort of frustrated everyman sort of character uh, pretty well. And of course, the the problem here is he isn't always an everyman, as you pointed out. You know, sometimes he is. Sometimes he's super smart. Sometimes he can, you know, as I Sean Bean pointed out, you know, he can jump off of a carrier into the harbor and be just fine. <laughs> you know, so there, so maybe some superpowers involved uh, uh, after all. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, he did say, you know, that that could kill the man, and yeah. <laughs> he, he was no worse for the for wear for it. Uh, and 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 you know, I, I think for whatever reason, you know, I was just willing to say, okay, he's the action, or he's the adventure hero, so he can do these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 Indiana Jones could do those, or even not at that level. I mean, that's a that's a, that's a tough comparison. You know, Tarzan can do things. That, that that no one else can do. Alan Quartermain can do things in his you know, stories that that no one else can do. So right, um, yeah, and, I, I, and 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 also again, for me, this whole uh, watching this the first time and can, I I can't separate it from how much I dislike the Da Vinci Code books, <laughs> and knowing that the movie was coming up, and for all of the leaps in logic that uh, Gates makes here and the mysteries that he sees and the clues. It is nothing. It's, it compa- it is it's not nothing Robert Langdon. <laughs> it is nothing compared to Dan Brown. I think this is actually the, the thing that I wanted to bring up most, which is uh, I, again, I came to this much younger. This was one of the first Nicolas Cage movies I ever saw. Mm-hmm. Which means that I didn't bring that baggage right. of knowing who this guy is for dec- like decades, knowing mm-hmm. his history, seeing his previous roles. The squandered seeing, potential. Seeing the squandered and, uh, potential of like basically the entirety of the 90s. So I didn't have that baggage coming along with it. And so I actually really, really uh, enjoyed the way that his intelligence and his knowledge base specifically are shown that he is honestly because I work in departments which have lots of people with masters and doctorates I come in contact with dozens of these dozens of these people a day uh, tell me about it this is how very I'm not even going to say smart but like very specialized studied, studied specialized, specialized people. people can be this is how their brains work mm-hmm. vast they're not generalists. Not in any way, shape, or form. And it does mean that there are going to be certain connections that I bought because of the way that his specializations and his studies had taken him. But I'm like, okay, so he would know these really finite, bizarre statistics about Iron Gall Inc. and the degenerative properties of that because he studied in that. And he, he did some work in document preservation, so he would know those sorts of things. Uh, he would know all of these weird random facts about American history. He would know all of these sorts of, you know, things about artisan craftsmen of the 18th century in Northern America. And then, See, it wasn't so and much. Then, I'm sorry then, to interrupt when you. When was daylight bit. savings? Uh. <laughs> yeah. It, it wouldn't. It, it wasn't that I wouldn't believe that he would know it. It's that I wouldn't believe that he would know so much more than everybody else. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he he's in a group of his peers as far as at least, uh, you know, as far as Ian goes, and he ran rings around him. Mm-hmm. Well, Ian Ian is not definitely not one of his peers. Like Ian is very specifically from the beginning the money of the team, and yeah, he's smart, but he's like in international business. Like he's he's not a doctoral student. Um, which is not to say that doctoral stu- students necessarily know anything. And it's actually a thing that I liked that Ian was almost as smart as Ben, even though he comes at it from uh, an a outside and, as we learned throughout the course of the movie, criminal background. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to point this out. I really love the dueling heist sequences for planning how to break in Mm-hmm. to steal the Declaration of Independence. Uh, I like the way that the sequences are edited at the like base level. I think that this is a very well-made movie. And I like the way that the comparisons are shown between the types of logical steps and plans that, uh, that um, Ben and Riley come up with as opposed to Ian and his crew. It's which, what I, I thought of as what, slick, slick and smart versus brute force. Though that, that was the two competing uh, strategies and it could it and and yet even though ian's team is very much brute force he does still have moments of insight he is self-aware um a, a small moment but i liked when they are looking for the liberty bell and of course ben and his team immediately are like nope home of the liberty bell we need to go to the steeple ian goes to the bell that's the important thing and then realizes no, wait, we're in the wrong spot, we need to course correct. As opposed to, I don't know, just like happening upon mm-hmm. Ben and co., it is actually a fairly close chase. Right, he's listening to the the docent give the talk and say, well, they moved it because of the crack, so it's not in its original place. And immediately he thinks, okay, we have to go to the original place. But of course, Gates and his crew are already there because they were that one step ahead. Yeah, well, he always seems one step ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean that is that is uh, almost a. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a movie. Uh, yeah, that's sort of a standard <laughs> of the genre. It's like, okay, Tintin is a quote unquote boy detective, though his age is very ambiguous. Why does he know more than literally everyone can fly better than literally everyone can sail better than trained pilots? Like, because it's his. Because it's, it's his, his movie. movie. It's his books. Like, it's his movie. Mm-hmm. He's going to be the smartest, flickest, best person. In and and that's the inherent problem for me, though, because mm-hmm. that's what I had to accept. The right. reason Nicolas Cage knows more than everybody else in this is because it's his movie. Whereas when I watched Raiders <laughs> of the right. Lost Ark, I accepted that right. Indiana Jones is smarter than everybody else. Right. Like, it, it wasn't because this is Harrison right. Ford's movie. Right. Right. So... That's a high you standard know, for a comparison. Oh, absolutely. I'm you know, not I, saying it's better than Indiana Jones. I'm, I am not saying it's as good as Indiana Jones. But I'm saying that it is, I, I think, still quality. And the fact that it is as lowly rated as it is, I think it has it like is? a 6.9 like on IMDb, a 71%. It's about a 50-ish percent 50, on Rotten 59% Tomatoes, on Rotten 70 Tomatoes. among the people. I'm like, okay, that's that's a little rude. Okay, yeah, guys. I, I have to say, it's, it's unfair of me... Because after the Godfather movies, uh, 
which Nicolas Cage has a connection to in his own way. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is my next favorite movie of all time. Right. So it's a little unfair of me to try and put this to that. But then again, we are on Is It Yours, which is comparing things to another one of my favorite movies. Comparing everything to Jaws. But that's just interesting, the the context that we're bringing, Paul, because you're bringing the comparison to Raiders of the Lost Ark. And clearly that's there. It's just funny that for me, it's all about Da Vinci Code. It's all and it's, all now my experience so with Da Vinci Code so the books and the movies. So that's the that's that's it's it's just funny that that's the perspectives that we're that we're coming from for these. But to, to you know to give you my perspective on the Da Vinci Code, uh, I read the Da Vinci Code and I forget what the other Angels, Angels and Demons. Angels and Demons. I read both of those. I found them to be fairly entertaining, but. I never took anything in them as being real. Right. Oh, no. All right. right. No, no, no. And I think there were a lot of people when those books came out that said they're real. That mm-hmm. this, is, this is true stuff. Excuse me. True, true to life facts that, that Dan Brown is presenting here, and he's just fictionalizing the way they're presented. And I kept having to say, no. <laughs> I, you know, I remember my argument then, my argument with some people then was, you can't even trust what you see on the news today. With all the media that's out there, with all the ability to capture it, you can't trust what's on the news today because people are going to show it from the perspective they want to show it. So you think that Dan Brown had information about what went on 2,000 years ago that's reliable, and he wrote these books and nobody else knows these things? Seriously? Yeah. We don't even have first- to third-hand accounts that people think are believable first primary sources for church history like let's let's be real guys so i i just found that like i I was just very very dismissive of the people who wanted to take it seriously i read it i read both of them as kind of popcorn books which is and and on that level i found them to be entertaining Mm -hmm. i actually thought when the movies were coming out these could be enjoyable i did not think that once i saw them no Mm -hmm. But I was not turned off by the books, as you seem to have been. Yeah, I was. Well, and uh, and and part of it was the the worry of them making turning it into a movie. For see, here's, whatever reason. Here's the thing. I we both really hate Dan Brown yeah. for a similar but also There's slightly different, different reasons. reasons. I really hate Dan Brown for basically getting so much. So, so much about history, archaeology, like textual studies, archives, like just getting literally everything wrong. Like, how does conservation work? I don't know. I'll just make it up. How does any sort of historical, like, study work? I don't know. I'll just make it up. Like, he gets literally everything in a structural plot level completely wrong which is why i think i give national treasure so many brownie points for at least understanding the basics of what is a conservation department how does conservation work uh what is nara it has doctors that work for it what are the processes that go through protecting these types of documents how are they stored 
again, this, this a little bit comes, of Disney education there for you. Yes, and of course, you know, simplified and amped up for plot and entertainment reasons. Uh, but it's it's like sailors who can't read anything about nautical anything because everything's wrong. It's mm, it's right. a minor point of the plot as far as the author is concerned, and for you, it just just smacks you in the face. Right. Well, for um, for me, and anything about business or finance. Uh, as, yep. As, as as we record this, I'm in the middle of an Iron Fist viewing to, to prep for uh, the Defenders. And there's a lot of problems with the Iron Fist TV show, I think. And one of them is there's such a heavy subplot slash plot revolving around the business. And the company and how it works. And there's just so many problems with what's being presented there. I don't know, Paul, if you if you can turn your mind off when legal stuff is a major plot point, or how a jury, or how a trial is, is, is conducted, but for me, I, I do have that problem. Uh, to a degree, when I see things that are incorrect, that are blatantly incorrect, yeah. more, more often than not, when I, when I watch legal dramas, <clears throat> the people get away with stuff you'd never get away with in real life. They get away with asking questions that you could just could not ask, and they get answers to questions that you couldn't predict that they'd get. So therefore, you would never ask those ask questions. That question, right. So that that's where legal dramas usually seem to be false to me. But I do have the inherent ability to turn off my brain. Yes. Oh, certainly. <laughs> and and there are and it's a skill things. not everybody has, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah. yeah, and there are, there are plenty of plenty of times where you can just say oh yeah well but you know plot so okay fine whatever <laughs> exactly um, but that's why whenever people uh, people people not so much now but at the time just lauding dan brown as an incredible writer and i'm like he's writing about a historian and he's writing about like the academics of the humanities and he personally himself does not know how to undertake research not that he's writing it wrong in that he has clearly done no research for his book, and I am offended <laughs> on behalf of the entirety of the humanities that people are going to think this is how things work. And I, as you said, that is the place that we are coming from. <laughs> so to see okay. even just a breath, a but, breath of fresh air. But can I, can I get back to National Treasure just for a second? I was just going to say, but it's, sure. it's interesting that sure that perspective to turn that around helped you to enjoy right. this movie more. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And to, well, one of the things I liked about this is, you know, plot simplifications and character simplifications and Nicolas Cage uh, aside, I think that in the production of the movie, I think they did the best that they could. I mean that in a positive sense. May I think they did a lot of on-location shooting. I also and want, yeah. and you could tell that made a difference that they were in Boston, they were in Washington, they were in Philly, they were in New York, and you could tell that. And I think you know spending the money to do that. Talk about the boat. Um, yes, I would like to talk about the boat explosion, which is just beautiful. As just to bring this uh, full circle to the other reason I love this so much, the movie that I've probably watched the most of anything in my entire life is the third disc of special features of the extended complete Lord of the Rings. I am a junkie for special features, and seeing the practical boat effect 
and then watching the special features of them being like, yeah, we built a boat in, I think they were in southern Alaska or northern Canada somewhere. They're like, yeah, we built a boat, and then we filled it with explosives, and we blew it up. And I'm like, in today's day, it is so refreshing to see an actual big set get actually blown up with TNT live on film. It's beautiful. And I think you could tell. And, and in the same way you can tell that they were on location. And there's something about the verisimilitude hmm. of a practical effect like that and location filming that helped me um, get into it mm-hmm. um, uh, a, a, a little bit more than maybe the movie deserved. Because they, they spent some money, took some time, and paid attention to, to those aspects. Like I said, I feel like this is a very well-made movie, like, at the structural level. I think the score is really good. I think the editing is really good. I think um, just things like the location choices, very sort of nitty-gritty stuff that you don't really think about. Is the script maybe a little bit weaker? I mean, like, maybe it works for me, but I can understand that it has flaws, it has warts. Could the acting be better? Well, I mean, if it's Nicolas Cage, you're going to bring baggage to his performance, or you won't. But the, I thought the secondary cast, Sean Bean, your John Voight, Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel, I think those guys helped. Again, I think a very solid, that, that, that second level uh, of characters. I thought uh, a, a good job of casting. Was it well-known, recognizable? people as well uh, uh, who are solid professional actors yeah I I definitely like the supporting um, sadly I like the supporting cast more than I like the star mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and I hate to keep ripping no, on no, that that's stage because you know it's nothing personal against him it's just you know I, I, I find his acting to be somewhat Un- unrealistic, for lack of mm-hmm. a better word. It just—it's uh, not that he's wooden. It's just that it just doesn't come from a from a place where it feels believable to me. Um, and and to me, that's probably the fatal flaw of this movie, as far as my own viewing mm-hmm. is. I have a tough time accepting him as the lead, and then when you just add some of the elements that they did to Disneyfy it. Uh, you know, it, it almost felt like like a 1960s, early 70s <laughs> Disney live-action movie to me. I can see that. So, but, uh, I mean, Harvey Keitel, I always enjoy. John Voight, I can take or leave, to be quite honest mm-hmm. with you. I'm not, not really a, a much of a John Voight fan. Sean Bean, I think, is awesome. I yep. think he's, he's a great actor. Uh, Spoilers, and, he didn't die. Yeah, I know. That's so rare. Even even if Shock. only for that Shock. pure statistical anomaly, this movie is worth a few they, they didn't behead him. They didn't load him up with arrows. They okay, didn't do any fair, of that stuff. He does get super arrested. But as he gets really arrested. Let's be fair. But, somebody has to go to prison. It's he. he t- I, I kept looking at him and saying, this is Sean Bean slash Owen Wilson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He he just didn't seem to be totally Sean Bean to me in this movie. I don't know. 
he was not Ned Stark. He was not Boromir. So it, it was it was definitely a different role for him. Um, I mean, but I just like I mean, one of the things I liked about this film is is the theme. You know, keeping treasure out of the hands of the British. I mean, I know you work regularly with Andy Leyland, so I think you understand the importance of that. Oh sure, I try to keep everything out of Andy's hands. Absolutely. So, I can. so I mean, for one thing, I mean that's that's a check in this this movie's favor. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think of the score in the movie? Because while I did, I I didn't think it stood out to me that much, but I've heard people saying really positive things about it, and having seen it as many times as you have, maybe you've taken more notice of it than I did. I very much enjoy this score. I think that most of the time it is pretty not quite background because it's still it's still pretty bombastic even at its quieter moments but I, I think it does a good job of just sort of doing what a score should do and setting the tone, keeping the tone but not being super noticeable except for a couple times where you get some good epic orchestral swelling. I mean I'm a sucker for orchestral mm-hmm. anything um, but I, I am particularly a pretty big fan of this, and I do actually have two or three of the tracks on mm. like mm-hmm. my my go to study playlist for mm. not not the not the I am going to you know uh, quietly reflect upon this material. It's the I need to drill this into my brain, and I've got <laughs> seven hours until my exam playlist because um, it, it does kind of it does kind of pump me up. Yeah. That- I, I think it caught the adventurous you know, aspect uh, uh, of the movie pretty well. And to to compare this, it, we've done a lot of comparing to Raiders. We've done a lot of comparing to Dan Brown. But to compare it to the other Jerry Bruckheimer adventure mm-hmm. swashbuckle thing, I do think it's much better than Pirates of the Caribbean, which is the mm-hmm. other movie that came out at up approximately yeah. the same time was made with a similar crew also by Disney like it was sort mm-hmm. of part of their I don't know like sort of a, a side venture right. that they were working on yeah this this I think this was less publicized Definitely. than Pirates mm-hmm. and I think this. it's and I think it's much better which is what just sort of annoys me um the sequel it, to National Treasure it, is, is not great, it, but like, but it got one. But even the sequel to National Treasure is better than most of the Pirates movies, and the fact that they're working on a number six kind of personally offends me. The first Pirate movie is pretty good, I think. They and you go, can end it right there. Yep. They go downhill fast, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and keep churning them out. And yet we just we we can't get our our National Treasure three, which I know would not be good. <laughs> I would not make anyone else want it. I personally would like to go see it. I can recognize that there is a difference between good and awesome. I think that I think that National Treasure One is both good and pretty awesome. I know that the third one would not be nearly as good, but I would still love it. Well, see, I've, I've talked in the past about how I am a fan of sequels even when I should mm. not be mm-hmm. because I like revisiting characters that I enjoy and settings that I enjoy uh, and there there are certain ways of doing sequels one of which is the hey let's make the same movie again with some slight differences uh, 
see Die Hard 2 for, uh, uh, yep. for reference. Um, and then there's the other, let's go to another, you know, a whole other situation and changes around, and I would say see Predator 2 for that one. Mm. Uh, this one, because of the single-mindedness of the Benjamin Gates character, and I never saw National Treasure 2, so take this for what it's worth. But mm-hmm. uh, because of his extremely limited scope as far mm-hmm. as his focus, I mean, he spent his whole life looking for this one treasure, uh, I find it difficult to imagine where they'd go with a sequel that wouldn't be very repetitive of this one. Yeah. And I'm sure you've both seen National Treasure 2, and you could tell me if I'm accurate on that or not. Uh, it's I mean, it's pretty much what you would expect for the sequel to an adventure movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, it, it is very similar to the first one. What I do sort of like, again, with that almost tongue-in-cheek Dan Brown-ishness is that that's basically what Riley turns into. That he writes a schlocky, um, like, mass public, like, paperback book about, like the treasure and he's dressed up like Indiana Jones and he's going around peddling his book everywhere and they basically use it as an excuse to make fun of Dan Brown which I am always here for <laughs> um, so I, I they, they did a decent job of following up on the characters and that they are all very famous they're all doing lecture tours and all of this sort of thing and then of course another adventure shenanigans, shenanigans happen there's another thing more clues more secrets more yes so it, it it does it does then go down that, like you said, that Die Hard too, mm-hmm. that right. John McClane's about to have the second best worst day of his life. So ultimately, as far as a sequel for this, then then it turns into if you love this, then you want to just see more of the same, and right. that's fine. Mm-hmm. If you either don't like this or just like this, you're probably better off just sticking with this, and that's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think this that's is, true. This is certainly better than the sequel. The sequel is still enjoyable, but not as good. The third one would probably be even less good and maybe a little less enjoyable, but I would I would still <laughs> probably go see it twice in theaters because I'm a sucker. <laughs> I like high adventure. <laughs> very, very, very few movies are actual straight-up adventure movies these days. Yeah, and, and for me, I think the, the point that Emily made about adventure versus action I tend to not watch many of what broadly gets qualified as big dumb action movies some are blockbusters unless there's a superhero involved if it's a Transformers or any anything like that or Pirates or whatever it is a lot of those just don't interest me whatsoever uh, but there's something about this sort of narrow adventure almost old style old school type of uh, uh, setup setting adventure that uh, that that uh, was more up my up my alley and what do you know uh, what they paid to make this movie I think you might have some stats on I this. think it, it was you it like, do. It, uh, well you know I'm, I, I prepare he's a numbers man it was right he's, around. He's not an economics man for nothing. It was right around a hundred billion, right? And it brought and in about double that. Is that double that domestically? Yes, and then about the same amount internationally. It was like one eighty, one ninety, something like that, for Which, both 
both in, and, in and of itself warrants a sequel. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See now, and that goes a little bit against the uh, the current trend because. I, at least as I understand it, it used to be one and a half to two times your budget made you a very big success. Now, I guess they've upped the uh, ante as far as the uh, public relations and the yeah, advertising and everything. Well, I, get, I also I think get the feeling that as ticket prices rise, gross matters less. Because your number of tickets actually sold yeah. is smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah, but same I, amount of money. Yeah, but yeah, I, I think that. Uh, but the conventional wisdom now is two and a half times your budget. Right? Yeah, right. To to be a success, and and that may you know when you talk about the ticket prices, that may enter into the fact of how much of a cut the theater gets. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they yeah, need to make more because yeah, of that. Yeah, that's where that. Uh, yeah, that's that's why that just uh, the double. Uh, 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 comes into being is at least in terms of domestic. It's basically a fifty-fifty split, at least for you know for practical purposes. It's 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 roughly a fifty-fifty split. So if a movie quote unquote makes two hundred million at the U.S. box office, that's a hundred million to the to the production company and a hundred million to the theaters. Very broad, very roughly, but that's. Yeah, well, I understand it to be much more complex because, at least as I understand it, when the movie first opens, the movie production company gets a higher split, and the longer the movie is out, the more the theater gets out of it. And then, and then each international market is different, though on average it's a little bit lower. Broad rule of thumb is about fifty-fifty U.S. and about forty percent from domestic, from foreign. Though of course that varies as to how that foreign. Is is, dis- is 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 distributed, but that very broad, very broad rules of thumb, from what I understand. Okay, well, you've waxed poetic about how much you love this movie, so that leads us to the most important question of all, which I'm sure you know what it is. I think that's worth a quarter. Oh no! There you wrong, go. Wait, wrong, wrong, wrong question. Wrong show. Wait a minute. Wrong show. Okay, this see, I give the cover an A. <laughs> and, no, wait, it's still the wrong show. This is, this is not the Dollar Theater Podcast. <laughs> wait a minute. But uh, the question, as always, is, is it yours? And, of course, as always, I have to give the Jaws scale. So if you rank it as Jaws, you're saying it's an all-time classic, a great movie, few weaknesses, if at all, and the ones that are in there are virtually insignificant. Jaws 2, which is not my review of the movie Jaws 2, is a very good movie worthy of of multiple viewings enjoyable but just not quite to that classic level jaws 3 entertaining but nothing special and jaws 4 not a good movie at all where do you rank this for me just by definition the fact that we watch it once or twice a year, it's, and we are not movie rewatchers in general. And I do want to underline that once or twice a year, and have done so for approximately seven years. Yeah. So by definition, it's a Jaws two, eminently rewatchable for me. Am I allowed? Am I allowed to give this a partial ratings? Can I give this a Jaws one and a half? One and three you quarters. Can. Okay, you can. Okay, I'm going to give this a solid Jaws and a half. I fully recognize this is not this this is no godfather 
I'm, I would not claim uh, that it you're is... You're not on Is It Godfather. Well, okay. <laughs> I, would not, I would not claim... That, I, I, that That's the film review show Bill Robinson does on the side. You're, we aren't supposed to mention that. I, I've never watched Jaws. So, like... Okay, this is your context, okay? Sorry, Paul. Um, we've well, decided, you know what? I, I recommend it highly. We've decided... So I've heard. We have decided it's not Raiders. Well, so that's the thing. So if it is no Raiders of the Lost Ark, which we would call the Jaws equivalent, I mean, I really, I honestly do think that provided that it is the right audience, which basically means someone under the age of 30, someone of my generation who doesn't bring the cage baggage or someone who is, again, like me really interested in museums and archives and history and documents or someone again like me who really really likes adventure movies this will hit you in a perfect sweet spot and how about this instead of is it jaws is it night at the museum (laughs) okay so if anyone's actually interested in my ranking of adventure movies i don't know if anyone is uh there's the librarians they're fun disposable but fun uh, Night at the Museum. Okay, next up. Significantly, significantly We're better. Up. We're we are working, working up. up. Okay. Significantly better. Um, has some pretty weird, serious flaws. And again, your mileage mil- will vary based on your opinion of the lead actor. Yeah, there it's Ben Stiller. There it's Ben Stiller. And if you have weirdness, regarding Ben Stiller, it's not going to work for you. Uh, then there is a solid, solid good gap for National Treasure. Immediately followed by Adventures of Tintin, and then yes, of course, Raiders a, a, a bit ahead of that. <laughs> so it is a solid middle of the round, but say, almost saying Jaws two feels insulting to me. To be like, yeah, I mean, it's good. I'm not saying it's great. So I'm, I'm going to stick Jaws and a half. I'm saying it's good. I'm not saying. It. I'm saying I love it. I'm not saying it's great. I think okay. that's, a, that's a distinction I, I can that, make. I think that. W- some of the one-liners, some of the quips, elevate it slightly above a Jaws. Okay, well, one uh, and three quarters. I was going to give it a, a Jaws 1.9. I thought at some point, some point, Spataro's going to draw a line and just disconnect the Skype and wrap up the show without us. So I didn't want to push. <laughs> well, for me personally... Uh, we'll love you, Paul, no matter what you say. <laughs> so long as the answer's not four. No, it is certainly not for it. Uh, I saw it when it first came out, or when it first came out on home video, and I enjoyed it, and that was it. And I didn't see it again until you suggested we do it for the show, and then I said, okay, it's time to break it out and give it another shot. And I started to watch it, and actually I got distracted and had to go and do something else, and then I came back and I said, you know what, let me just start this from the beginning all over again. And I did that, and I watched it, and I found it to be somewhat entertaining, just like I did the first time, but I don't feel like it's going to be a, uh, you know, a, a, uh, a you know, a perpetual uh, movie that I'm going to view over and over again. Uh, I think by some, definition... If for some I'm, reason you end up moving in with us for a few years, it will be. <laughs> Is that an invite? <laughs> That's I, a threat. It's a promise. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I think by my own definition, this is a Jaws 3 for me. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say it's bad, it's just, you know, it doesn't reach that other level. All right. We, we, we love you, Paul. 
<laughs> Thank you, and I love you guys. We do not. And I, love that you, and I love that you came on the show. Disagreements of taste as personal insults. So thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it, and I've had a good time talking to you guys. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Well, most of what and you're saying to yourselves, didn't I do this already? <laughs> Shh, leave that curtain be. We'll get it right this time. Uh, most of the work that we do can be found at Relatively Geeky, the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Over there, you find my solo shows, the Quarterbin Podcast and the Comics Reading Journal, as long as, along with the show that we do together, Short Box Showcase. And the occasional Relatively Geeky Presents. Miscellaneous Once upon a time, I did seven episodes of a thing called uh, Uncovering the Bronze Age. It was a fun time. I liked that show. Then you know I'm I'm a big Bronze Age guy. (laughs) I'm a big Bronze Age guy, so that was right up my alley. And because I'm going to keep pimping this, because then I have to do it, I am working on something else. It is not Bronze Age related. It's not even really comics related, but there is something in the works. Something else that Emma's working on for a solo effort. Which... I don't know when this episode is coming out. Hopefully the first episode of that will be out close to the time this comes out. Well, you, we'll you have a pretty pretty good window of time before this one comes All out. All right. So. Okay, good. good. No good. pressure. Okay. No pressure. I, I try to record really, these way I in advance. listen to it. <laughs> Very good. Uh, thanks again for coming on, guys, and uh, I look forward to our next time to talk together. Appreciate the invitation. You know, that really is a nice collection. Must have taken you a long time to hunt down all that history. If it's any consolation, you had me convinced. It's not. I was thinking, what if we go public, plaster the story all over the internet? It's not like we have our reputations to worry about. Although, I don't think that's exactly going to scare Ian away. 180 years of searching, and I'm three feet away. Of all the words written here about freedom, there's a line that's at the heart of all the others. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government and provide new guards for their future security. People don't talk that way anymore. Beautiful. Huh. No idea what you said. It means if there's something wrong, those who have the ability to take action have the responsibility to take action. I'm gonna steal it. What? I'm gonna steal the Declaration of Independence. Uh, Ben?